But when you do theater or you're acting, there's something in it where because you're acting through another character, because you are trying to figure out what makes this person tick, um, I don't ever call it the process. I, I hate calling it the process. But once you do that, you kind of let yourself just do be that person. When you come back after it's all done and you realize you're not going to be that person again, it's kind of amazing to come back to yourself. Like you get to kind of sit with yourself after that because you've been pretending for so long that you've kind of, after it's done, stripped away what that whatever facade, whatever veneer you've put up on yourself through all the years. And that's kind of what theater was for me at a very, I get emotional talking about it because it really was like paint stripper for me. <laughs> it just got to a point where I was able to just be me and really my sophomore junior year was me becoming comfortable with my own within my own skin that was me with jeff butler and welcome back to another episode of tetua with benjamin morris is Jeff Butler. Jeff is an amazing and introspective person with years of experience in film, storytelling, media production and design, and uh, all things Blade Runner. He's unparalleled in his ability to look deep within and project life's little lessons back out to those around him. Sometimes that happens through film or the scripts that he writes. Other times he invites you into his personal life by offering little pearls of wisdom along the way. Jeff, like I said, is wise way beyond his years, and he paints a mosaic of experiences for you to enjoy as he talks through his personal and professional journey as a filmmaker, creative, and artist. By the way, all of these titles he categorically rejects. In this conversation, we talk about his hometown, DeWitt, Michigan, and how various experiences have shaped who he has become today. We explore the canyons of adolescence and chart a path toward adulthood. He walks us through why he went to film school and reluctantly offers advice to aspiring filmmakers. We discuss the difference between narrative and documentary filmmaking and the various trade-offs and considerations within those two approaches of storytelling. He provides a look into a short film that he's been working on for uh, quite some time called How We Doing Tonight, which is about grief and evolution. We also make a brief pit stop uh, by discussing a documentary project in which he filmed actually my family's uh, adventures in running several ultramarathons in 2019, culminating in a 100-mile race near the end of that year. Uh, Jeff has so much to offer, so grab your popcorn and get ready for this one. Thanks for jumping in. Right, right on, Jeff Butler. You're here. Are you ready to do this? I am. I am. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited, man. Of course. Well, I appreciate you coming to this conversation, and I feel like there are so many things that I could start with, so I'm not really sure where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
we've had so many conversations, you know, and it's going to be fun to have some some new ones. Like, I, I, I don't know. I've been excited about this all day. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, maybe a good way to jump in here is to, you know, talk about your recent COVID wedding. You're a married man. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take this opportunity to start by publicly congratulating you. Thank uh, you. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I, we we got engaged back in uh, December and essentially right when the 2020 came around, obviously the pandemic hit and things changed and our plans for the wedding changed. We ended up just doing a small kind of, uh, I hate calling it a COVID wedding cause I don't want it to be that, but like we that just decided branding. So no, you're good. I, it, no, it, I, I still call it that. <laughs> like I still call it a COVID wedding. Um, we had a small ceremony, uh, her brother officiated and, uh, it was a really nice day. We got blessed with like some really great weather. Um, Made a small, small gathering of friends and family. And then this September, not this September, sorry, this May 1st, September 9th was our uh, wedding in Traverse City or marriage day. But uh, September 9th, we're going to have our full ceremony and reception. But we're still, I say September 9th, May 1st. May 1st, we're going to have a full ceremony and reception. And we're working through that right now. We're still planning that. But uh, no, it's, it's all it's all very exciting. That's awesome, man. And, and a wholehearted congratulations to you. I, I know that, you know, weddings, uh, I had one of those and, um, you know, I, they're, they're such an amazing time. And I think that, you know, right now our world obviously is, is just in a very, uh, different and difficult place with everything going on. And like, I can't imagine, uh, trying to go through the whole wedding, uh, planning and implementation and uh, all the guests and all the stress and everything with, with all the stuff that's going on. But I will just say, uh, you know, congratulations. And when you can bring folks together, I'm sure people will be very, very happy to celebrate your wedding. Well, thank you for that, man. I, it is, it, like I said, it's, it's incredibly exciting. I will say planning a wedding, uh, during a pandemic wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> but I would say, you know, we're making the most of it and, um, yeah, it's going to be a blast. I love it. Well, you know, that note was definitely uh, noteworthy. Uh, but, you know, for you and I, we go back a couple of years and we know each other primarily through work. Uh, so we both work for the Center for Academic Innovation at the University of Michigan, myself on the design side of online learning, and you reside on the media production side of our center. Uh, but beyond that, you know, we went through, you know, a life changing journey, I would call it. Uh, in 2019, where, you know, you so thoughtfully documented Mary and I's journey toward this uh, silly 100 mile run that we were uh, planning for and attempting during that year. And, and you were there. And I, I bring that up because I, I was talking to Mary earlier today and I felt like we just got so close to you and we just learned so much about you. And obviously having your support throughout, you know, a transformational period like that for us. Uh, was really, really important. And I definitely want to unpack uh, some of that as well. Yeah, you know, I that whole experience was so great because one, we were kind of new to Ann Arbor, Rachel and I. And, you know, you're always, when you go to a new place, kind of looking for that community of some sort. And I'm not a huge community guy in general, but getting to know you guys, getting to know your family and us becoming the friends we are, it just, 
I was very lucky to have that personally. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for you guys opening up your home and kind of bringing me into this important moment in your life. And, uh, you know, video can be sometimes a little invasive and you guys were totally open to it. And, um, I don't know. It was a great, it, it was, it might be the first time I got to know someone through creating video. Does that make sense? Like really it was the beginning of our friendship and it lasted for a long time. And I got to learn about you through video. I don't think I've ever done that before. Like I've gotten to know people in the moment or about a certain topic, but I got to know you and your family through that whole process. And that was really cool. That's awesome. I definitely want to talk about that more a little bit later. And it's it's funny because while you're talking, I'm remembering Elias, who's now uh, three and a half years old. He'll turn he'll turn four uh, in May. And I remember like every time you came over, of course, he's very excited to see you and he always gives you fist bumps. And every time he gives you a fist bump, you you blow up your hand and you make a big deal out of it. And he loves it. And then every time I do that with him and every time I still do that with him, he always says, Jeff does that. <laughs> and I've been trying really hard to get him to say Jeff does that. And honestly, I, I think he's probably there to say Jeff does that. Uh, but it's it's a nice memory. It brings me back to to those days where you were just hanging with us at, you know, early in the morning while we're trying to figure out how to go on the next run. And you know, what? if he never says Jeff does that, I think Jeff do that is perfectly fine. I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty solid. <laughs> well, uh, so film, man, you know, you you're an amazing videographer, filmmaker, creative artist, producer. I'm sure I'm missing a few nuances and titles in there. Uh, this is something that that is so core to your identity. Yeah, I, I, it started pretty young for me. Um, and I think at the time it was kind of that just that just kind of a hobby, just kind of something I wanted to explore. And it was a fun thing. Um, I don't think until I got into college, maybe late high school, it really started to sit with me that it, this is exactly what I wanted to do, um, especially during those formative years. But I don't, I, it's weird. Cause you, you throw those, those, those titles. I, I don't, I have trouble calling myself those things. Like, I don't know why I've always had a real hard time saying I'm a filmmaker, I'm a videographer or whatever. I've always had a real hard time doing that, but it's what I do. <laughs> so yeah, well, titles are interesting, right? Because they're they're so fraught with a lot of tropes and stereotypes and uh, definitions that may not feel like they sit well with you. I think of like the title of vegan or like even plant based or um, you know American when I'm abroad. Like there are things that people define in certain ways and they're very subjective and like maybe you adopt some of that but the ethos of that may not be a hundred percent fit so i i mean i totally get what you're saying well on that you know i like filling a trope or filling a stereotype i think like myself and especially in college when you have your first like first taste of i guess you could say freedom to kind of do what you want to do and be your own person and i think i think i did fill my identity with a lot of those tropes, especially at that time, because I was like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. This is what I'm supposed to do if I want to be a filmmaker. This is what I'm supposed to look like. This is what I'm supposed to. And I mean, now I don't I don't give a shit. But <laughs> back then, I that was something that I, I was like, I was very conscious of it. So maybe that's why I'm a little adverse to titles in general, um, just because I know that I made it a point when I was younger to, to fill fill my identity with those things. And I think in a way that's kind of a toxic relationship with yourself. Sure. 
Yeah, well, I think that's a that's actually a good segue. I think you know I'd like to go back a little bit uh, to better understand that that journey. And you know, I I've known you for a few years now, and you know, I've seen tremendous growth even in that that time period. So I'm I'm excited to go back and kind of see. Uh, you know, where you've had these different evolutions uh, with with who you are and, and how you sit with yourself and uh, whether it's kind of battling uh, the definitions of a title uh, or kind of trying to figure out what the next step is. And, you know, this this conversation, uh, we try to think about travel and we try to think about how, you know, moving out of your, you know, status quo and, and really your like where your roots are and, and kind of getting out of that bubble forces you to think about the world a little bit differently. It exposes you to, uh, you know, folks that maybe think about life a little bit differently and, and they think about the world around them differently. I think for you, I'm excited to talk through that a little bit more because the idea of film and narrative and creating worlds uh, is is another layer, you know, kind of into that, which I don't, I don't think I've talked about yet on this show, so I'm excited to go there. But maybe a good spot to, to start would be to talk about where you where you grew up and kind of what your your home life was like. Yeah, I, I grew up I grew up in DeWitt, Michigan. It's a small town just north of Lansing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's exactly it's a small town. It's the the white picket fence and shutters on every house, lots of subdivisions. Um but it was a good town, good schools. Uh, but really, my home life is was was wonderful. I had two parents that were incredibly supportive. My my dad, you know, taught me a lot about hard work and you know, kind of putting your nose to the grindstone and you know, powering through when when things are tough. Kind of pushing through that, you know. But my mom, really, she was a dance teacher, still is. Um, fine arts school of dance, plug. Um, but she. You know, my mom's a saint of a woman. She she goes to these dance classes every single day and, you know, teaches little kids how to dance. And while sometimes little kids might be irritating to some people, especially in large groups, uh, she loves it. She loves watching them dance and grow and become, you know, find things that they find something that they're passionate about. And um, seeing my mom be able to kind of fulfill a career that was not traditional kind of gave me a little bit of courage especially when I was growing up to kind of pursue film but I grew up I grew up into it small town played sports did the whole nine yards and then somewhere around sophomore year it kind of clicked for me that maybe I wasn't cut out for sports I was drawn to other things um now I played up until sophomore year baseball basketball football and uh just somewhere along the way, I just kind of realized this isn't for me. They all have mustaches and they're two feet taller than me. There's no way I'm getting a starting spot. And that's awesome. I still can't grow a mustache. <laughs> I pretend to. This is all fake. I have to apply it every morning. Some spirit gum. Um, <laughs> but I I ended up finding theater. I found it actually pretty young at fifth fifth grade, but. Um, when I got into high school, uh, sophomore year especially, I started really diving into it. And um, I, I don't want to say it was my first passion, but I think it is. Like the acting and theatrics. And um, I don't think film at that point was a passion of mine. I think I was drawn to it. I don't think I knew it was a passion. But as I started dipping into that more, I, I followed that. 
Yeah. So, so how did you find theater? Like I, you know, I think the, it sounds like you had the pull pretty strongly towards sports, like a lot of young men do in the United States. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious if your mom had anything to do with, with that. Like, obviously she's expressing kind of a, a creative role model for you in a way that, uh, is, is probably a lot different than a lot of other folks, uh, and a lot of other kids in your class and their parents were, and like, I, I'm just trying to picture kind of what that, what that transition looked like for you, like shifting into theater. I did theater growing up a little bit. Um, I was really excited about it. My dad, he actually worked, uh, on kind of the, the production side of theater. So he was like stagehand union, um, you know, setting up the lights and the, the speaker systems and the costumes and for, you know, for all the things. And, um, my mom was like on the design side of like creating brochures for uh, various shows at our local theater. Like we still have like T-shirts from when like Cinderella came into town and my mom like drew the logo for the T-shirt for the Cinderella performance, you know? Yeah. So like I had some influences and it was really cool to see kind of how those those pieces grew for me. But was does that sound like similar for you or? Um, yeah, I mean, so when it came to sports, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you like if I chose to play sports like it was one of those things where like I enjoyed football but I didn't love football like I wasn't looking forward to going practice and I probably would have tried to find a way out of it <laughs> um, same thing with wrestling I didn't love wrestling uh, my cousin I think he was third in the state um, when he was in high school and kind of felt like I was following in his footsteps a little bit and I just wasn't as good as him <laughs> Um, but I, I, there were like wrestling. I hated, I really did. I just did it because I, I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Baseball. I genuinely loved, um, like when I tried out for the team and I didn't make it, that was really hard on me at the time, probably expressed it in not healthy ways. Uh, but football, I ended up just not, I wasn't, I wasn't going to start not with me being a child and I was actually playing with men. That's what it felt like. And, uh, so I, I don't know if I chose sports, but I, I think that's okay. I think my parents wanted to show me something. Like, hey, you can do things. And really in fifth grade, they decided to do um, with the, the Wiz. Not the Wizard of Oz, but the Wiz. Uh, and I, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to audition. I'm just going to do it. That would be fun. My mom was excited. I had already done dance because she was teaching dance. So I was already doing like tap dance at the time. Um. So like I have times. seen you dance down the hallways at work. So yes, yes. I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> but, well, I it's funny because I go right from wrestling to tap dancing. Like that would be it's amazing. Like twice a week, that was part of my regiment, and which I don't know if you ever wrestled. The last thing you want to do after you have a wrestling practice is go do anything else. Um, so I'd go do that and. Yeah, I think that was my first t- taste of the stage was my mom dancing. I mean, I started tapping when I was maybe in second grade. I couldn't tell you, but I know that being in front of a crowd was something. Like there is, I've checked, I've tried to check my ego about it. Like, oh, do I just like being the center of attention? I know that's not true because I like to cower in corners at meetings. Um, but when it comes to like being on stage and performing, there was something in that at the time. And I think I wanted yeah. more of that, so I pursued theater. And yeah, I started when I was in fifth grade, and then it got really serious when I was in high school, though. That's a that's a great observation too. I think that 
there are some pretty stark differences between like being the person in the middle of a meeting that's like facilitating or trying to be like that that type of a like air quotes leader versus somebody that's performing and putting themselves out there and maybe even removed from the situation like you're not necessarily like on stage like thinking about every single person in the audience in a way that you may be in like some sort of board meeting right and like I love that mental image of like you like on stage uh, performing and like everybody around you just kind of gravitating toward the the art that you're laying on the table and I've experienced that with you before. I think you've got such a strong passion for uh, your kind of artistic abilities and your your creative side, and it's it's so genuine and authentic when it comes out. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about art in general is that you know when you find somebody that is in that sweet spot in that kind of that zone, it's special and it's hard to turn away. It's hard to disconnect from that. And I think, you know, we see that of course in film, we see that in different performance arts, you know, you know, one of my uh, other conversations I had on this, this podcast was with Taylor Gallegos, who's like this amazing painter and muralist. And like when he gets in the zone, it's, it's this such a genuine expression of who he is, the way that he's interacting with the world around him. Right. And like, I'm just picturing you as a a young kid kind of going (laughs) through these experiences, like, Oh, on the football field, like with like this dude with a mustache next to me (laughs) and I'm not loving it, but then you're like getting into these other settings where you're like actually feeling like you're, you're being yourself and you're contributing in this, into this kind of experience, uh, that is the performance. Right. Well, yeah, and that that's that's the thing is, you know, I wasn't myself when I was playing those sports. Like football, I wasn't Jeff. Like I never felt like that. I always felt like I'm waiting for this to be over. But when it was in theater, especially in high school, we'd be at the school till midnight. I wouldn't think twice about it. Like I was totally fine with it. I enjoyed it. And um, and that was an important time in my life was, was the theater years because – you know, I, when I was growing up, I was so worried about what everyone thought about me. I was always worried about what I was saying. I was always, I think we all do that. And theater for me was kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, breaking out of my shell and being able to say, okay, this is what I want. I chose this. My parents didn't put this in front of me. No one else put this in front of me. I wanted to do this. And I found a way to express the thing I always tell people. And the reason I love theater, and this is going to sound pretentious, but I really, I really don't care. Um, (laughs) But when you do theater or you're acting, there's something in it where because you're acting through another character, because you are trying to figure out what makes this person tick. um, I don't ever call it the process. I, I hate calling it the process, but once you do that, you kind of let yourself just do be that person when you come back after it's all done and you realize you're not going to be that person again it's kind of amazing to come back to yourself like you get to kind of sit with yourself after that because you've been pretending for so long that you've kind of after it's done stripped away what that whatever facade whatever veneer you've put up on yourself through all the years and that's kind of what theater was for me at a very I get emotional talking about it because it really was like paint stripper for me. <laughs> it just got to a point where I was able to just be me. And really my sophomore junior year was me becoming comfortable with my own, within my own skin. That's, 
That's like really profound. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of so many different ways to respond to that. And I, I can, I can feel that too. I can feel it viscerally through your stories. And I think that like for me, I think travel has played a similar role in my life where, you know, when you go to a new place, you have an opportunity to kind of become a new person, so to speak. Like you, you leave your habits behind, you leave the structure of your daily life behind, you kind of leave those other commitments, whether you're a student or whether you have a job or whatever it is at your house. And I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad, but when you break that up and you put yourself into a new environment with new ways of eating, new ways of moving from point A to point B, new ways of going to the bathroom, new ways <laughs> of kind of meeting with people and experiencing life and sharing and communicating. All of those things, I think, allow you to look back at that version of yourself that you are when you are in kind of your home setting or in your kind of safety net. And it's such an amazing mirror for you to identify the things that you really like about that person, but also identify the things that you may not really like about that person, which kind of serves as this amazing catalyst for change, right? And I can imagine there's probably some parallels within theater, within film, kind of within that embodiment of what you were just describing. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> trying to think of how to how to kind of continue on with that because you kind of got the nail on the head. I you know, I, even though theater was that for me, that when I, all the times I've moved to, I, I feel exactly what you're talking about. I can connect with that um, because you are kind of, I don't want to say on your own, but you're, you, you are, and you're trying to figure out how to navigate everything and you pick up habits because you're learning along the way. And, you know, it does feel like a fresh start it does. I mean, acting in film, same way with film, every project you kind of do, you know, they always teach you to kind of like write what you know. And I've been kind of leaning into that quite a bit more. And, um, that has surfaced things, uh, that I probably need to address <laughs> for myself. But a lot of the times, um, when those things surface, you can kind of look at them and play with, this sounds weird. Let me know if it doesn't make sense. You can kind of play with those emotions within a fantasy. And, whether the situation usually it's not the situation the film is not real like it didn't happen but there's emotions within those scripts that are very real they have to come from a real place and i think that you know lends itself to self-reflection and um you know maybe i need to change a habit maybe <laughs> maybe i shouldn't connect with that character as much as i'm connecting with it if that makes sense yeah i mean it it, it sounds like it's a it's a it's a mirror, right? That you're holding up in a different way and you're getting feedback. Uh, and it, it's, I feel like that process, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but I feel like when you're putting so much into a character and you're developing somebody within kind of a narrative structure, like you may not be aware of some of the pieces that you're putting into that character, uh, and how much they relate to your own personal life or your own experiences until maybe you see that character in action or you're reading over the script that you wrote, you know, days or weeks or months, you know, prior and you're going back to that and then you're start, starting to recognize like, actually, that's a that's a part of me that I may not have uh, been 
conscious and aware of, right? Yeah, and I, I think I, no, totally. And it's funny. I I wrote a through this pandemic. I've tried writing as much as I can, but I'm not forcing it because it's a pandemic and things are already crazy enough. Um, I don't need not writing a script on my on my my list of things I didn't do during pandemic, but. Um, you know, I was writing the script called Little League, uh, and a lot of it is just from – it's not from a kid's point of view. We kind of flipped it and made it something uh, where it's from the adult's point of view coaching Little League baseball, and it's a comedy. And I won't get too much into what it is, but it's it's reflective of – how I feel like I would be as a coach doing baseball, but not just how I would do it. I'm starting to see similarities between myself and my dad, which is kind of crazy. Like this person's doing this, the main character might be doing something. And while I may have pictured my dad doing it, it could have easily been me. Like I'm starting to see parallels. I'm starting to like peel back onions on that kind of thing. Um, but it, a lot of it is because I've connected it back to my childhood when I played Little League. And even though it's not about my experience playing Little League, there's a lot of truth in there. Parents yelling at each other, um, which is insane. It's Little League. Why are you yelling at each other? Um, so it's, you start pulling from your real life and you, you're able to kind of, yeah, hold a mirror up to who you are, even though it might be a little distorted. Um, it's, it's a good way to kind of self-reflect for sure. Sorry, I went on a, went on a tangent there. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. I mean, that's that's good insight. And I, I want to actually go into a couple of those pieces all, a little bit later in this conversation. Um, I want to, you know, so like looking back into when you were in high school and you've had these experiences and you're, you know, you're starting to make some choices. You have some uh, some agency over where you want to go in your life and what you want to pursue you know, when you were looking at colleges and when you were looking at that next step post post high school, what what was going through your mind? And ultimately, you ended up at Grand Valley State University. Right. And I would love to know a little bit more about kind of how those those evolutions uh, opened up the next door for you uh, in, the, in the college realm. Yeah, I was a mess my senior year in terms of like what I was going to do. Like I wasn't a good student in high school by any means. I just, my focus was theater. Like I go to school after or go to theater practice after school and not do my homework. Like that was just what I was doing. Um, my grades reflected that. So I was really nervous what I was going to do. I thought I pretty much set my myself up from failure, uh, which, which really sucked senior year. So I ended up getting into Columbia College in Chicago, which my understanding is they accept everybody. Um, but I really I really was going to go to school for film and my my theater director and uh, in high school, his name is Jeff Crowley. He really pushed me to say, you know, go to Chicago, make that a priority. I'll help you find a place to live. Like he, he made it a point, like if you want to follow this, follow it. And it really drove me to just do that. Um, but I didn't go to Columbia. What I ended up doing is I am going to LCC for two years, kind of taking some extracurricular, just get my gen ed, um, which there wasn't a ton that happened during that time. But really, college really started for me when I went to GBSU. 
and I ended up getting accepted there. And I looked at GVSU because I had such a good film program. I'd heard great things. My sister went there, so I kind of had a base. Um, but really, they had this thing called the Summer Film Program. And every year during the summer, they make a film of some sort. They bring in professionals from the industry to come work on it and they run it professionally. Everyone's got their role they play um, and that's what you're doing. It's ran like a professional film set. And as soon as I got there, I made it a point. I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to be a first AD. I barely knew what that was. And a first AD is first assistant director. And the summer or the fall before the summer film, I ended up working on a feature film. This was like my first year at the university. Ended up working on a feature film, got some experience, ended up getting to know the first and second AD pretty well. Um, the first AD actually ended up being in my thesis film as an actor. Um, but I went to my teacher who was doing this summer film, and I was just like, I know I can do this. Let, I want to do this. Tell me what you need me to know. I said, I've got, con I, I didn't say I've got connections. That sounds awful. I've got connections. Um, no, I've, I know I, some people. I, I know some people. No, I was like, I got resources that can help me kind of get through this. And, you know, I've, I've seen how it's done. I, I understand it. I know I'm going to have a lot to learn. And, um, you know, she took a risk and a gamble uh, at the dismay of some people who were really thinking they were going to get it that year because they were on the film the previous year. Um, and I, I didn't know that until later that people were mad about that, but I, I get it. I kind of came in that first year and was just like, I want the first AD position. Then I got it. And then I, I, I did that summer film and that was huge. And that was like my first major goal when I got to GVSU was I need to prove to myself that I can work hard enough to get to that position, get to that point. And it wasn't like I just asked for the role and I got it. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. But I had sure. applied myself in every course. I was taking out gear when I probably shouldn't have rented it out. And I was, you know, I needed to prove to myself that I could do that. At least do that. And I did. And that was huge for me. But GVSU was a huge resource. A lot of people say, don't go to film school and whatnot. I was like, whatever. I know I need it. I don't have the resources and I have a ton. I need to learn. Like the first film set was huge. That was a huge experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing you at, you know, when, when did you, you, you made your way to GVSU. Uh, it's a mouthful. Um, when you were, you were what, like 19 or 20, like after a couple of years in, in community college. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably be about 20. Yeah. Right around there. So I'm picturing you at 20, uh, kind of cruising into this, this program. And, and obviously you had some drive and you had, uh, an idea of where you wanted to go. Uh, you, you're kind of familiar with some of these opportunities. Um, what was that like? I mean, trying to take that leap and go from, you know, high school through community college and kind of getting some general ed, but then making that leap to saying, hey, I want to do this. I want to do film and I'm going to do it this route versus maybe just going out and trying to learn the skill set on you know, as a freelancer or kind of under, under somebody as a, a mentee, like what really drove you to, to change your entire, uh, geographical location to, to dive into this, this program? Um, I mean the geographical location when it comes to GVSU, I guess 
doesn't matter as much to me because it, 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 it was only an hour away from my parents. So it wasn't like I was moving to this place. And I did. I ended up falling in love with that city. I love Grand Rapids so much. Um, but really, it I didn't get to kind of enjoy my first part of being there. Like, I didn't get to ease in. I actually ended up totaling my car when I moved out there, like the day of. I was moving with my car packed with a monitor, all my computer stuff, camera stuff. And... I ended up totaling my car on the way to my new apartment. It's a great start. Yeah. It's just a fantastic start. It was like freedom, <laughs> real life. And then you couldn't pick a better metaphor and just, yeah, absolutely destroyed it. Real so life I, just punched <laughs> you in the face there. It was, it was not, it was like welcome. <laughs> I was out. I didn't have, I didn't have a car. I was kind of just, you know. I didn't have a car. I didn't have the freedom that I was looking forward to. So I kind of got walked to class if I couldn't catch the bus. And um, I didn't feel like I had that freedom. So I never quite had that moment of like relief. It was like as soon as I got to Grand Valley, it was like hard work. <laughs> like because it was I mean, I've, I've been privileged in a lot of ways. Uh, but the totaling of the car and the subsequent months were pretty brutal. Uh, just at that time, because kind of like the thing that is coming to mind right now is something you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation of like nose to the grindstone, like your father just working, working his tail off. And I'm already seeing you embody that right now in this story of like, well, shit happens. Uh, life punches you in the face when you're trying to like make this huge transition as like a young adult and become, you know, your own person and and kind of take control of of your destiny and life is like well you know we're gonna total your car uh you're gonna go to this place you know you're gonna have to work your ass off and like i'm just like already kind of seeing you and connecting those dots to like the way like your parents would handle this thing and now it's like you're the one doing it like you're an adult you got to push through I've never made that connection. I've never, never thought that far. I, I mean, I, I guess I, my, I, I, my dad taught me how to have hard work. I mean, that year, I mean, going back a little bit, um, my senior year through until I went to GBSU, I held down like four jobs. I was doing landscaping. I was working in the restaurant. I was freelancing. I was also working in a, like a liquor store. Um, so I was just working my ass off. None of that money ever showed up. I was hustling. <laughs> I still it's kind solid. of, I have a side hustle still. Like I, but I, I never, you know, that I always attributed to my dad, like the hard work, just keep working, do, do the work. Um, but yeah, the little things are like the, the perseverance, I guess, that you learn through that kind of mindset. I got that from my dad for sure. My mom too, but my dad, I think is the one who really kind of um, made that made that kind of ingrained in my brain. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Thanks for that, Dad. I appreciate it. No, it's, it's, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's a solid shout out. I hope your dad listens to this. Me too. Um, so you, you know, you, you totaled your car, you made it to GVSU. So you, you went through the program and, and what was your degree in? Like, what was the, the final program? Yeah. So it was, uh, uh, a BS in film and video production with an emphasis on fiction filmmaking. So essentially I, I, you pick your emphasis when you're at GVSU. I picked, you can pick like documentary. Um, I couldn't tell you the other emphasis because I knew when I saw fiction filmmaking, that's what I wanted to do. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a communications degree and I never really cons- like when you go to college, you get your degree cause you want that on your resume and you get a job because of the degree on your resume. I knew that wasn't going to be the case. And you know, I kind of went in with realistic expectations. This degree is not going to do much. I paid a lot of money for it, but I'm genuinely paying for the education. And that's something I really appreciated about it is I didn't go there to get, say, you know, this is nothing against people who have English degrees, but say you have an English degree and you go through all that work and you just wanted that on your resume for whatever reason, um, you just ground out that work and then you got your English degree. I, I, didn't want to just grind out the work i wanted the degree meant less to me than the actual having access to gear being able to work with people who are amazing being able to ask questions to teachers every single day probably blowing up their email and probably annoying them um (laughs) but like i i i wanted the experience more than i ever wanted the degree like till this day the degree i don't even know where it's at i think it's in the bottom of a bin probably in our closet um it just, it never mattered. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, it's funny because I'm thinking of you as a high school student where like the grades weren't the, the accolade wasn't the, the thing that, that was driving you. Like you were just so excited to go to after school theater and learn and like experience that. And it was less about getting your high school diploma, I'm sure. And more about having that experience as, as somebody that was, uh, endeavoring within theater and and learning and uh, really immersing yourself in that world after school like that that to me is a thread that like hasn't changed and like I think that that's that passion actually I would venture uh, I guess here is is what's driven you so far uh, in even to your current career and your current position right like it's that is that love for what you do uh, is what opens opens those doors right you need the degrees you need the education this is you know. This is the system that we all live in. <laughs> well, that's the thing, but. right? You, you you don't need it until you need it, right? I don't think I would have... That's the funny thing. And I, I don't know if it's irony. I don't know. But I I don't think I'd have the job I have now, which really in the film and video world is a very lucky job to have. Like, I'm incredibly grateful for the job I have because one, it matters. And, you know, we're making a difference in some way, shape or form. Um, but we're also just lucky to have a job that we do. I know a lot of people I graduate with who just aren't doing video work right now. And that sucks because I know how talented they are. Um, but when, <laughs> yeah, it, it matters until it does like my degree. When I graduated from high school, my GPA, I never thought it mattered. Like, I don't care, but it mattered when I was trying to get into schools. And I think that yeah, really it matters did. in like these moments, right? Like it's, a, yeah. it's, it's the admission moment that it matters. It's the, uh, yeah, the, the job interview or the, the, you know, the merit based economy is when it matters, uh, which is, you know, you can't sell that short, like that's important that opens doors and that opens up an economic opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of other things that define us as humans. And unfortunately, like they're not always the things that rise to the top when you're, uh, searching for careers. Right. And I, and it's, it's like, of course, I mean, there comes with a, there's a privilege there, right? Me saying like a GPA doesn't matter or a degree doesn't matter. I just want the education, you know, being a white man in America, that really doesn't affect me too much. Like I haven't felt resistance from that and that that's a privilege. And I know that, um, 
like I don't think a lot of a lot of people get that opportunity. So it's it's a very privileged mindset to have. Um, so I've I've understood that too, to say, <laughs> I don't care about my GPA. Not, not many. I don't think anyone else except can say that really, and that's that is a shame because GPA I don't think should matter, like in some way, shape, or form. I think it's a good measuring stick for being able to apply yourself to work. But what if that work just sucks? I don't know. I could go on a rant, but yeah, no. I mean, I I think that's a really fair point, and I think there's there's definitely some systemic issues that are at play, and uh, you know, I, as a, a white white cisgender male like i i am in the same same boat as you and i've reflected a lot on those those identity markers and and the you know privilege that that has afforded me i think that there's also something to be said about you know the pursuit beyond the the metrics so to speak and trying to you know look at the whole person rather than the 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 score on the test or the 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 numbers behind the name um and trying to figure out like how how can you marry those two worlds in a way that that fulfills you as a human and you know i i think in the artistic field in a lot of like the you know the english degree world um you know there's a lot of that that has to be squared that's really hard i think in the economic system that we work in right and you know you you reflected on your gratitude for your current position uh, which I think is obviously there's there's some privilege that is attached to that, and there's definitely some opportunities that you may have been afforded where others were not. I think there's also uh, a lot of the individuality behind the resume and the stories that you can tell, uh, and the way that you can kind of build yourself into a whole human, uh, and and those offerings come out like really authentically and genuinely, you know, when you're in your creative pursuit, right? And, you know, I don't want to sell that that part short either. No, I, 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 I can I can understand that. I, it's it's something that I do. I like I, I think about quite frequently, like, why was it me? Like, it, it, I mean, that's a huge discussion. And I think it's it's worth talking about in general. Um, but I, I, I do look on the other side, like I have worked really hard to get to even the, where I'm at right now. And um you know, it, it wasn't, it's not always, and that's the thing that I love about film is it, even though it was nose to the grindstone for a long time, it didn't feel like it because it was something I enjoyed doing. And I think that's for anyone who has a passion that they decide to turn into a career is even though there's times where it can be grueling and, oh, I'm filming another wedding. I hate filming weddings. Um, <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go. You know, my old job when I was in Marquette, I don't want to jump around too much, but a quick side is, you know, we go do jewelry stores and we could make some really cool commercials and we go do um, car dealerships. And actually the people we worked with at these car dealerships were like game to do whatever. And that was so cool. Like they would dress up in panda suits. It didn't matter. Like you would go crazy. And sometimes they were really corny, but they were always fun and loud. Like it was it was nice. It wasn't stuff I necessarily wanted to be making, but it was something that I could definitely take stuff away and learn from. But then, you know, my, my perspective shifted when it started feeling nose to the grindstone because we started doing um, pawn shops. And that became 
that became really rough. Like, it, I, I wasn't getting anything out of that. And when it became to that, it, that was nose to the grindstone for many months. And that's not why I left by any means. Um, but when you get to the work where it does feel like grindstone and you are pushing through, you become incredibly present in your misery. And that's really hard to kind of push through. But some people, that's their every day. I've got to look at myself and be lucky to say I get to do really cool and fun, amazing things. Even 70% of the time, even 50% of the time is good. <laughs> like, so Just, I, yeah. I have appreciation for what I do because I know that, okay, maybe today sucks. Tomorrow might be incredible. So I just got to stick with it. And I'm always kind of looking for that next thing that kind of gets my juices going. I've never said that phrase, juices going. It's a gross it's phrase. Solid. I'm going to use, <laughs> never use that again. But. All right. Well, that's, that's perfect. I was about to reuse it because you said it, but I'm going to hold because you, you just put a moratorium on that, that phrase. So, um, you know, one of, one of the things that we've talked about before that I think, you know, folks that are listening into this conversation that might have uh, a film background or, or might be in a similar space or also for other folks, uh, maybe like myself, that don't necessarily have a background in, in your line of work. You know, there's this kind of uh, duality between like narrative films uh, where you're like really crafting the characters, you're you're creating it. It's this fiction approach. Uh, versus a documentary that is, you know, trying to go through and, and maybe uh, chase stories where they are and and maybe, you know, they're trying to unearth some stories that they may not know the end of that script yet, but they're they're kind of they're they're waging their bets that uh, at the end of that that film cycle, there's going to be something that that emerges to where they can tell a compelling story. And I think those two are really interesting. I've you know, I love as a, a consumer of, of those two pieces. Uh, I really like both of the approaches, uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because I, I know we've talked about this uh, several times. Before. Yeah, no, I, I first and foremost, I love watching documentaries and I love watching, obviously, fiction films. Um, yeah, there's just such a difference, especially when you're going through a creative process to like create one of those, because one is you're hoping you capture maybe something that is worth telling. And that's a lot of work, like to get nothing potentially uh, when it comes to documentaries. Like you're you're hoping like, you're, you know, this person has a story, but what if what if it doesn't go anywhere? Like from a creative standpoint, that's that's not all that intriguing to me. Now, that doesn't mean I won't do it. I've I've done documentaries and I'm happy. Like I love them, um, but it's not my main pursuit because there's something about crafting something that hasn't existed. Um, and just I'm trying to find a way to say this because it is it is hard to kind of articulate it. Well, you've used the fishing metaphor with me before. I don't yeah. know if you recall. <laughs> yeah, no. it, And that probably fell apart because I'm terrible with metaphors. I always start metaphors <laughs> and then they just fall apart at the end because I'm like, oh, this little piece works. And that's if you want to look into my writing process, that's about it. <laughs> it starts with a strong idea and then it just falls and part towards the end. 
That's hilarious. Well, I I believe what you told me is in the documentary world, you're like you're fishing and, and you might not get, catch any fish with, with that particular project. You might also catch Moby Dick or some of this just really amazing. Whereas like in narrative film, you can create Moby Dick times 10. Yeah, it's like <laughs> and you can plan that out. You can you can, yeah, have that story uh, come alive, whichever way you you so choose. I remember why the, the metaphor falls apart, because I said, um, yeah, because I said that. But the narrative filmmaking or the fiction filmmaking is like fishing in a stacked pond. Like you you put bass in there because you want to catch bass. But it, it starts to fall apart because you might catch something like you're bound to catch something. Uh, and that's just not the case still with fiction. Like they're both really hard work. One is just physically going out and trying to craft and not craft a narrative, but follow a narrative and find an engaging way to share it. And then in fiction filmmaking, you might have the whole entire story in your head and then you write it down and put a lot of work into it, but you're not out in the field doing it and it might fall apart and be terrible. But sometimes you catch your, you know, your Moby Dick that you put in the pond. See, it doesn't, the metaphor just doesn't hold <laughs> It's broken. We're just, it's, it's shattered. It's broken. We'll, we'll put a moratorium on that one as well. We'll just move on. Well, really, uh, really what it is, is fiction filmmaking you're creating. And this is why, because it, it's hard to say why I, I, I don't pursue documentary filmmaking it's easier for me to say like why narrative filmmaking makes so much more sense to me and it's just the idea that when you put something on paper that doesn't even look like uh your life it could be anything you just have the possibilities are endless in terms of where you can go with the story and that first draft is gonna suck it's just gonna suck but as you start whittling away at the character arcs, understanding what makes those characters tick and understanding, you know, how they're reacting to any point in that, that is so much more interesting because you get to tinker with it and tinker with it. And this part might suck, but you get to tinker with that a little bit more. Like I just wrote, uh, for instance, I'm writing a feature right now and I'm on like page 90 and I'm trying to stay at 95 and so just a just a little bit of work yeah just a little bit of work i'm on like page 90 i want to get to 95 but because i know so much of that's going to be scrapped i won't finish to 95 but i'm going to be splitting it currently goes into timelines when they're kids and when they're adults um i'm going to completely cut the adult storyline that's a lot of work. I wrote a whole entire movie I'm going to trash, essentially. And then I'm going to use the half that I still really like. So there is a ton of work that just gets thrown on the floor. Documentary filmmaking, um, I feel like it's the whole thing. If you start shooting and you start gathering information, you start gathering footage, and then at the end you're like, oh, I got nothing. You just spent months and months of work, and it's been thrown out the window. Like... I'd love to like revisit a little bit of our like mirror metaphor, even though like our metaphors are falling flat in this <laughs> conversation. But I, I do really like I'm thinking of the narrative approach. I'm thinking of some previous uh, short films that you've you've been working on or, or other stories that you've told me um, around different ideas you've had to to kind of produce different narrative arcs and using kind of film as your your medium. And like, I think that there's probably more intrinsic value 
in those type of pursuits because you are you're creating you're you are that author versus following somebody around and like obviously you have to interpret and identify and you're piecing together someone's story and like you know if i'm if i'm featured in a documentary like i'm not telling the story the the filmmaker that is following me is the one who's telling that version of the story but i think in the narrative space it is really intriguing to me because i i do see like from some of the stories you've told me in some of your work like there are some very clear through lines that are so incredibly personal for you and like you're in many ways you're putting like such a uh, an internal version of yourself into what that narrative looks like out for everybody to see and like that is a different form of stepping onto the stage and being really vulnerable about who you are uh, whether it's conscious or not conscious like I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that approach and you know, if you have any stories to share uh, for some of the other projects that you've worked on in the narrative space. I mean, that's the thing, like, even though you are, because I think you have to, I think, I think you have to, if you're creating a story, you have to be able to put a little bit of yourself and we kind of covered that earlier, but like, the thing about fiction, though, is you're able to kind of tuck it in and hide it into a character. You're able to tuck it and hide it into a narrative. And you're kind of, I don't want to say it's not bait and switch, but you're kind of saying, all right, the story feels real because it comes from a real place, but it's all fiction. Like, it's it's this weird line you're trying to ride. Like, The Shining, for instance. That scene where Jack Nicholson kind of yells at his wife because she's interrupting him while he's writing. Stanley Ah. Kubrick did not write that scene. Um, Stephen King wrote that scene essentially in the book is my understanding. And he wrote it at a time where he was literally just frustrated at his wife. Now that's a lot more blatant than I think we're talking about here, but that made it into the film. Now he could have just gone through his whole entire life and said, yeah, Oh that, no, that never happened. But really, that's what his internal monologue was saying at the time, mm-hmm. which is quite dark. But like, you're a you, you can tuck them in there. You can tuck little kind of God. I hate the word nuggets, but you can tuck little nuggets into those into the narrative. And the one, the one, the one script I kind of can talk about. We're, we're working on a short right now. Um, it's called How We Doing Tonight. And it's kind of an exploration of grief. And, um, essentially back in 2015, uh, one of my best friends passed away and I had moved up to Marquette. I, I, I don't think at the time I knew it, but I moved up there to kind of just get away from everything. And, um, I just couldn't be down here and do the things that we were doing. But, uh, after I was done in Marquette, which is a whole nother thing, after I moved down, I was still sitting with it. I had come back down and I was starting to sit with it again. After I'd ran, I came back and um, I started writing. I don't think at the time when I was writing it, I knew what I was kind of reflecting on, but I realized I was writing about my own grief. But here's the thing. It's about a standup who can't do his work because he's going through grief. Sure. Um, you know, when I was up in Marquette, I didn't write one thing. And it wasn't until I addressed it and I came home that I was able to start writing again. 
kind of the acceptance of grief and a lot of that is in that script a lot of it is that exploration and i could have easily just said you know this this is just a movie this is just a narrative this is just a story but upon further reflection it is something where you start tying yourself into it and you're not necessarily doing it to share it with anyone but I'm not just a writer I'm a filmmaker and if I'm going to be putting myself into something it might as well be something worth putting myself into I don't know I, I it is very true I mean I can't think of a script recently I've kind of ever since I wrote that script honestly the initial one um I've gotten to the point where I've started to accept that that's how I'm writing. That's how I write best is to just say, I'm going to open up and write those moments. Like I'm finding myself writing a lot of small town stories, you know, I'm finding myself writing, you know, things that resonate with me instead of trying to pretend yeah. instead of writing to be the director I want to be write to be the director I am. Yeah. I mean, I, well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing that overview of that project. And, you know, again, sorry to, to hear about your friend. I, I'm hearing it in your voice, like viscerally. I, I know that this is such a, a, a personal and intense topic for you. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've definitely experienced the, the, the talk through with, with your, your structure for this one. And I'm like, I'm picturing you as, as like a young kid, again, joining theater and going up and having these experiences where you're able to share a piece of yourself on stage that you may not have otherwise shared. Right. And I think that is such a important piece of this art form. And it's such an important piece of like your own personal story of, like being a filmmaker, like if you're not, if you're not able and within your style of, of filmmaking, right, within the narrative approach and trying to create these, these worlds, like if you're not putting yourself into it, you're not living up to your most authentic and effective storytelling self, right? And like, I'm hearing that come through. Uh, and I, I imagine there's so many cases out there where we can, you know, look at the artist, whether it's, um, directors, producers, actors, actresses, anyone that's like in that, in that like very visceral performance space. And we can kind of trace that back to who they really are as people. And I love the shiny example because it's, it kind of shows the, the overlap between real life and fiction. It shows like really how much artists put into these type of endeavors and like that is something that I I can relate to, but I'm also not a filmmaker or a storyteller in that sense. Right. But I love it. And I'm so glad that you shared that with us, because I think anyone listening right now is probably looking deep within themselves and thinking about what are those stories that I could tell that are so like tangible and relatable to everyone else. Right. And we all have them. It's just trying to figure out a way to share them with the world. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm grateful to have you here unpacking that for everybody. But I'm also like just really excited for anyone that is willing to take on that burden of emotional work to put out a story that actually, you know, really resonates with the audience. Yeah, I mean, that 
I mean, that's kind of why you get into it, right? I mean, if you get into it for personal reasons, then stop being superficial about it. You know, I got into theater for very personal reasons. I was finding myself. I got into film because I finally felt like there was something that I had value. Like, I know that sounds awful and sad, but I felt like I actually had value when I started learning about film. And that's what I wanted to pursue. And I loved it. It was personal. So why shouldn't the end product be personal also? And I think a lot of the times we get scared to go there. I know I have been. I know I was. And I also didn't have the life experience to write anything personal. You know, um, I think that should I think that's with any creative. I think you do. You do just put that little if, if you're able to accept that it's personal and it's not the superficial thing. I think anyone can be creative. Anyone can be a creative. It's just a matter of accepting that it's personal and not pretending that it's some, um, you know, the one thing I see with like, and I thought I didn't understand at the time in film school, but they're like, don't have any guns in your in your videos in any of your films don't have a gun time i was like that's dumb why would you why would you do that like that's 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 what everyone's here for but you know hindsight reflection yeah how many times a day do you run into a gun yet there's things in your life that are incredibly compelling like they might not be amazing films but they could be compelling like conflict happens without guns conflict happens without violence and even though that's an unfortunate part of our lives like to be able to look at having you know some form of tragedy in your life or that's an extreme not really tragedy but having some sort of life happens it's okay to draw yeah so i would also love to explore the other side the documentary side uh i know that you know we we worked on a project in 2019 together where uh, my wife Mary and I decided to take on this 100-mile race, which uh, even when I say it right now just seems like a very silly idea. <laughs> uh, but in, you know, in, in late 2018, we had our youngest son, Aiden, was born in October. And we started training for this race in January and you decided that you wanted to come along and help us, you know, tell the story of uh, our, our training and all of the the, the suffering, uh, but then also the, the perseverance, I would say, and some of the success that we eventually experienced throughout that process. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, obviously we've talked through some of the narrative approaches, but you've worked you know, very intimately with me and my family on this project. And I would love to just hear kind of how that approach is maybe a little bit different. And if you have any fun anecdotes to share with folks uh, about that uh, endeavor in 2019. Yeah, I mean, first I'll say I <laughs> I didn't. When you mentioned 100 miles, it sounds insane. That's an insane amount for a person to run. That's not that I didn't think you guys were going to make it. It was just inconceivable to me when you mentioned it, if that makes sense. I don't know. At the at the end of that 50-mile, like, air quotes, training race, uh, your, was, the look on your face was like, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to do this. I was a little <laughs> nervous after that one. Um, yeah, I was a little nervous after I saw the 50, but you guys were so strict on your training regimen uh, that I, I kind of had this feeling that you guys would still be okay. We hadn't seen the end of it. You guys were still training. Um, 
Yeah, man, that was that was an incredible kind of. And I mentioned it earlier, it was really cool to get to learn about you guys through creating the story because I got to, you know, I think that's something about documentary filmmaking that's interesting. And when you start to meet people and you have conversations with them, you feel you can connect to it. I worked on this when I was in Marquette. It's a really quick side thing. Worked on this uh, documentary for the the national football, national championship winning 19... 19- 70, I might get the date wrong because I haven't seen it in a while, six NMU Wildcats football team. Uh, they won Division Two National Championship. We went around did a ton of interviews. Um, and you do get this kind of personal connection with those people because they're pouring usually their heart and soul out on camera. And you guys did the same thing. You poured your heart and soul out on the camera. And you, especially when you're establishing a friendship, getting to hear those things, it's kind of the best icebreaker in the world to become friends um and that's something that you guys did that you know that we you guys were so open on camera and willing to talk that it always felt like a deep dive every time we were there i never felt like you guys were putting on a show or anything like that either which is huge like usually if you were good i see it all the time when you go and film someone and you can tell like they're excited to be in front of camera and they're terrible on camera because they're excited to be on camera. <laughs> um, with you guys, you're so natural, you're so genuine, and you're pa- like earlier. You were complimenting me and about how I how I kind of can be passionate. You guys are so passionate about succeeding in this. And what's crazy through all of this, and it's it, it shows really well on the film is you guys were dead tired at the end of that 100-miler. Rightfully so. Absolutely rightfully so. Uh, But the moment you were able to celebrate, it almost looks like you never ran 100 miles. It's insane. (laughs) Like, that shouldn't be the case. You just ran 100 miles. I love it. And, you know, I was exhausted, and I was sleeping in the car waiting for you guys to make a round. Like, that's something, like, I have so much respect for what you guys did that day. That two days? Day? Yeah, like, uh, 20, 28 hours and 56 minutes. Yeah, it's a little bit more than a day. Oddly specific, I, um, oddly specific number. I, no, I, that, <laughs> hey, listen, after you, after you have an experience like that, that, those types of metrics just stay with you for some reason. You didn't push it down um, into your subconscious to protect yourself from the pain or not, not yet. But when I write my narrative film in a couple of years from now, it'll all come flooding back again. Um, no, I, I think from my perspective too, like seeing you uh, getting to know you, like you said, through that medium was really special. And I think that you were just such an open and genuine and kind host for us to just kind of, be who we are authentically in that setting. And I, I am just picturing other documentaries that I've seen and like, you know, thinking about the way in which the, the folks that are there documenting the, the, the subject with air quotes, uh, like that impacts who, like how you behave on camera that impacts like the way in which you interact with the world around you. And like, I think of movies like free solo, 
where like Alex Honnold is trying to, you know, free climb El Capitan with no ropes and nothing else. And like how that film crew had to adapt to the risk associated with something like that. And that's a very extreme example because like obviously we weren't (laughs) we weren't, you know, experiencing that much risk. But I think that there is something to be said about the relationship between the the, f- the folks behind the cameras and the folks in front of the cameras, whether it's narrative or documentary. And like, I love that relationship. I think that's such a, such a cool thing. Yeah. That especially free solo, there's that scene where he's about to make that. I can't remember what part of Al Cap it is, but he's, he's got to make the, like a the jump. Boulder problem. Yeah. I yeah. think where he has to make the jump kind of right. I can't remember, but they're filming it and the camera guy is like I'm not okay with this. Like I could be filming a guy dying. Like I don't want to do that. He turns around. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, I think you would do that for anybody who's climbing it, but you know, he's been there through the whole process probably. Uh you have to imagine he's connected with this guy. And yeah, that that part really hit me when I watched that. You know what? That whole film hit me pretty hard that it's an incredible film if anyone if anyone listening hasn't seen free solo yet where alex honnold climbs el, el cap with with no ropes uh by himself solo you know you need to see it it's it's amazing and it's also like um you know jimmy chin and like their their approach to record like document documenting this experience is just amazing and uh there's actually a couple couple of podcasts out there where they're talking about how they kind of reconciled those uh, inner demons with somebody that could, you know, fall to their death at any moment, but still trying to be there and being able to document this amazing achievement. So definitely uh, check that one out. See, I, I think that we were talking about kind of like the differences in terms of like narrative fiction filmmaking uh, and documentary. The thing with that is at least the stuff that I make in fiction filmmaking is fake. Like the stakes are pretty darn low, <laughs> but being in inter- like a documentary and being there when something happens, like I understand being the, the silent observer and sitting there and letting what happens happen and documenting it. But man, I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to live with that on my conscience. Like if something like that, like it, there's no way, like people who go to these war zones are like, I'm just gonna let this play out film. I can't do anything anyway. It's like, uh, then don't film it. Yeah. Like it, it, let yeah. the news cover. I don't know how to explain it. Like I don't in documentary, there's such a fine line between like exploitation and art. Like you can't, you can't, you shouldn't be exploiting people and they're, 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 tragedies or a lot of these people in some documentaries it's the worst moment of their life for it'll be the worst moment of their life and now they're put on you know I would say solenoid but that's not what it is anymore Um, it's it's captured forever and I I don't I don't want to have to play mental gymnastics for something I find enjoyable you know, I don't want to have to play, I don't know, ethics, gymnastics, I guess what I'm saying. I don't know. That's sure. just tough, and there's man. Like, yeah. And there, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, 
counter arguments to that of, of being genuine and being in the moment, not influencing what what is going on, just being there to kind of share the story with the world as painful as it may be. And there is like a fine line, I think, between like documentarians and journalists and the role that, that they both have to play. And again, yeah, I agree with you. That's a very difficult uh, job. <laughs> like I can't I can't imagine being the person that is uh that is there trying to be a, a neutral party in situations like that. Yeah. And I want to, I want to stress, I do think it's important that films like that or news does capture how things are. Cause we don't want to, we don't want to forget those moments, but I, I just, I know how I can get when I'm chasing an idea that I think is good. And if, if I was put into a documentary setting where like, Oh, this is going to make it. I do I have the moral weakness? Do I I'm not gonna put myself in a position where I I have to make that choice. That also just seems miserable. But I think there is value in documentary for sure. There's <laughs> that's not what I'm saying at yeah. all, but No, of um, course, yeah. But I it yeah. I do everyone does enough mental gymnastics in their life. You don't you don't have to add something as tough as exploitation or documentation, depending on how you view it. I don't know. That makes total sense. And and I think it's the, the trade-off that folks are making and the calculations that you're trying to make and and really the path you're trying to navigate as a as a creative. Um, you know what? I, you know, I, I should I should sorry. I should say like it happens in fiction filmmaking too. I'm not gonna pretend it doesn't happen. Like how do I like mental health is a big one. Like they love to per, like portray depression or they like to portray you know schizophrenia even uh, i always think beautiful mind those in some ways are exploitation because they're taking something that people truly suffer from every day or deal with every day and exploiting it as a story like sure beautiful mind's based on a true story but his schizophrenia was very different than how they portrayed it so in a sense that's exploitation so maybe i'm a little hypocritical yeah, I mean, I, I see that as well. And I think that they're, like you said, from a, an authoring perspective, there are also those decisions that you have to make if you're in the narrative space as well, right? And, you know, ultimately, too, I think of the the viewer's role in all of this as well. And, like, what are you, what are you trying to, you know, bring up from a, a viewer perspective? What are you trying to, you know, stir up for folks? And, and what are you really trying to get people to think about? And I think there are some opportunities where it feels right where you can really push push on something hard because you're trying to elicit a certain response from folks that are, are watching uh and i think there are probably other times where it feels like ambulance chasing and it's really exploitative you know so like yeah i mean it's it's like any industry is fraught with some of those like more ethical challenges and i think film is probably uh right there with with those I'm, so I'm thinking of, you know, folks that are listening that are, you know, on the fence on maybe it's maybe it's going to film school. Maybe it's um, diving into creating their own uh, side hustle that is focused on creating either a documentary or a narrative or something in the film space. What advice would you have for folks that are, are trying to get their feet wet right now? If I had advice for anyone who's getting into film video, um First, don't listen to anyone because they don't know what they're talking about. They might actually know what they're talking about, but uh, they don't know what's right for you. 
they know what was right for them at the moment. Um, I will say if you go to film school, they don't teach you everything at all. Uh, that's not their fault. It's just film is huge. It's a industry. Um, so basically research your own, understand that you're not going to know how to contact investors, uh, the day after you graduate or that you're not going to jump onto a film set and know exactly what to do the day after you graduate. Um, that comes with my next point, which is a little bit of advice from my dad, uh, might not be politically correct, but whore yourself out until you do what you want to do. And what that basically meant for me is work your tail off in jobs that are going to suck like real bad. Um, but guess what? After you're done with that, you might have gotten paid. Now you have the experience on your resume and someone's like, yeah, this person was a PA. Cool. Production assistant. Throw them on. Like, they, we just need a PA. Now you're on another film set and it snowballs. And then you meet people and they're working on other films. They're working on other commercials and that snowballs. Now, in my case, I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to be an AD. And this will be my last point. Um, don't keep going down the road that's the wrong way which is some phrase i know it's a saying uh it's never too late to turn around because i started doing ad work and i learned pretty early on uh maybe a little too late but fairly early on that that's not what what i wanted to do it's logistics it wasn't creative it was frustrating and stressful um at the end of the day just know what you want to do stick with it if you realize it's not what you want to do figure out what you figure out how you can correct that and for me it was being behind the camera and being creative um otherwise you're just doing a job so that's awesome that's great and you know for everyone listening you know don't listen to anyone don't take advice but if you do <laughs> take it from mr jeff butler that's that's solid well if you if you um, listen to so, any of that they didn't listen to my first rule <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough fair enough um so if people want more wisdom from you and, and they want to connect with you what's what's the best way for people to to connect yeah i mean i'm i'm on instagram i'm on i'm on facebook uh i couldn't tell you those links right now um I'll put them in the show notes. But actually what I do have right now is your Instagram uh, profile. And I, I want to read your your profile description because I think it's really fantastic <laughs> and okay. is, a, is a nice cherry on the top for this conversation. So you say, uh, I'm a guy with a camera who thinks it's weird that he goes out into the world, takes photos, but they just sit on my PC. So now I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that, might, that might be me. I forgot that's what it said. <laughs> um, that might just be me justifying having an Instagram. It might not be any deeper than that. But I did have the thought, like, I, I'd been taking... I'd lived in Marquette at the time. And I was going to the most beautiful places I'd ever seen. Like... I lived in mid-Michigan for most of my life. I didn't see a lot of beautiful vistas. And I moved up to Marquette. I was just, I was blown away. And, you know, one of the things I love, and we didn't talk too much about it. That's totally fine. But like photography, the reason I love photography is because, you know, you're trying to capture the moment and the emotions, not just the moment, but the emotion you feel the moment you see that. Like, I... When I was in Marquette, the reason I want to take a picture of that vista is because you want to remember it. The problem is anytime you look at that photo, it's never how you remember it. 
um, a photo becomes photography when you start saying, if I frame it like this, if I do this, now it gives me this emotion that I can connect back with it. And I had all these photos on my camp, my computer of Marquette. And it was like, you know what? I've, these, these are personal, but at the same time, I, I really do want to share these with people because it is, you know, it's great. And your photos are awesome. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. And like, I think that this is why in the beginning of this conversation, it was so hard to know where to start with you because you were just so incredibly talented in so many areas. And I feel like there were a lot of things that we could talk about and I'm, I'm sure we could continue to talk. So I know, I know I'd love to have you back on for another conversation and we can dive a little bit deeper and get some updates on, on some of your projects. And I would encourage everyone that's, that's listening in to like, yes, go and, and give a follow to, to Jeff on Instagram. So you can see his photography, uh, but also, you know, follow the, the short form projects that he's doing, how we doing tonight and some of the other projects that he's working on. Cause Jeff is going places and it'll be fun to keep tabs on, on where he ends up. So with that, Jeff, thank you so much for, for joining the conversation, I'm again. I'm pumped to to have had you here, and I'm excited for people to listen to this one. I gotta say, Benjamin, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. You've been an awesome friend, um, and you starting this podcast is awesome. I'm so excited for you, and yeah, man, I I'm just thankful. Like, if I had a word to describe this moment and our friendship, is just thankful. Um, but either way. Hopefully next time we talk, I'll have a couple more projects under my belt, but we'll see. I'm, I'm sure you will. And, <laughs> you know, we can, we can end it with a note of gratitude because I'm also thankful for, for your friendship and, and obviously for this contribution to the conversation today. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Well, everybody, that was my conversation with Jeff Butler. And I'll say I really enjoyed having this conversation when I when I was able to sit down with Jeff. And I know that, you know, immediately uh, his his story didn't jump out to me as a uh, quote unquote travel related story. But I will say there was definitely a lot of transcendence in his stories and his insight. And I really just loved learning about how he thinks about storytelling within both narrative structures along with documentaries and other forms of trying to capture the essence of who somebody is and who somebody is to become. And I really love the way that he holds up a mirror to himself in his work and he's able to uh, really channel some of those, those lessons learned throughout his life into filmmaking. Uh, it, it really serves as a, a super fascinating feedback loop that, uh, you know, I can, I can only begin to scratch the surface of understanding. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, if you want to connect with Jeff, I encourage you to follow him on Instagram. Uh, I will link his, his name in the show notes. Um, I'm also going to link uh, a Facebook page that he's got up for his short uh, film that he talked about during that conversation, How We Doing Tonight?, uh, so definitely jump in, check it out. Uh, you can support him directly through that that link, support his work, uh, and continue to kind of help him plant those seeds of creativity as he moves forward and progresses his own journey. 
Uh, I also want to say thanks for coming back and listening to another episode. I assume that if you're listening to this, you made it all the way through. This has been such uh, a great pleasure for me to be able to host people in conversations like this. Uh, again, it'd be really awesome if you could subscribe to the show. It definitely helps us out. Uh, I guess it helps me out. There isn't really an us, although if I you know, count my family as the us, then yeah, it helps us out. Um, but yeah, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, uh, you know, download and listen to other episodes that maybe you haven't had a chance yet to listen to. And again, super grateful, uh, to have you here. I will see you next time. Thanks again.